Happy Sabbath. Welcome to all. Thank you, Ian and Erin, for your music. Thank you for your voices. Thank you for your melody. And thank you for your harmony. We are blessed. In Jesus' name, bless you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. But in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we have this continuing opportunity. May we strike while the iron is hot. May we do all that we can while we still have time to do it. May we know what we're doing, what we're working for, as you have chosen to reveal to us, so that we're not flapping our wings in the air, going nowhere, but certainly and with certainty, we know we're headed, how to get there by God's word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're here now on a continuing, um, you know, I like this because it's progressive. And it, it is my desire, I know it's God's desire that all of us would grow up and learn. Not take three steps, three steps forward and then five steps back, backward, but continually to step forward, make progress the pilgrim's progress as it is, as it were, in learning the precious truths of God. We get back now to the topic of conscience, because we're dealing with the overall uh, issue and subject of the liberty of the conscience. Now, is human perception a stable guide? Evidently not. We'd like to read a little bit more about this in letter 45, 1904 from Sister White. But when the conscience is guided by human perceptions which are not subdued by the grace of Christ, the mind is in a spiritually deceased condition. Things are not seen in their true bearings. The imagination is wrought upon, and the eye of the mind, being the conscience, will see things in a false, deceased light. We need clear, sympathetic eyesight. Our conscience has been abused and has become hardened 
But if we will follow the right course, here's the promise. Renewed sensitivities and renewed sensitiveness of conscience will come to it. That's God's promise. Now, the Bible. What is the role of the Bible in relation to the conscience? Very clear, a direct line. One without the other cannot function and is not complete. The Bible, in fact, is the book of conscience. If you call the Bible something else, and it really applies to the Bible, wonderful. But add this to that definition of what the Bible means. The Bible is the book for the conscience. And I'm going to share this with you based on uh, Luke chapter 4, which I'm going to read. We need to read not only between the lines, but the magnified context in which this happened to Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, I'm reading from the King James Version, returned from Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward was hungry. And the devil said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made into bread. And Jesus answered Satan, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Bible is God's word. God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit to our conscience. Therefore, the book of the conscience is the Bible. And I'm going to share with you what I found in uh, this devotional of Faith I Live by, page 20, on this very, very topic. The Word of God is to be our spiritual food. Man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. It was by his word that Jesus healed diseases, cast out demons. By his word, he stilled the sea and raised the dead. As our physical life is sustained by food, so our spiritual life is sustained by the word of God. And every soul is to receive life from God's word for himself as we must eat for ourselves in order to receive nourishment from physical food, so we must receive the Word of God for ourselves. You know, you've not, I will have post right here. Have you ever seen um, a baby that's been drinking milk from its mother, animal? When it grew up, continued drinking milk from its mother? No, you haven't seen that. But how do we do that today? in the spiritual sense, relative to our drinking milk of the gospel versus drinking or eating the strong meat of the gospel? I'd like to continue reading here. He says, in his promises and warnings, Jesus means me. The experiences related in God's word 
of the life and times and, and different persons in the Bible, they are to be my experience. Prayer and promise, precept and warnings are mine. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the Word of God. Think about that. That same creative energy and power by which he called the worlds into existence, that's called fiat. The experiences there, the power there, is found in the Word of God. This Word imparts power, and it begets life. Every command is a promise, accepted by the will, received into the soul. It brings with it the life of the Infinite One. The life thus imparted is in like manner sustained. How? By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. The mind, the soul, is built up by that upon which it feeds. And it rests with us, not with anyone, not any vicarious thing here. It rests with us to determine upon what it shall be fed. And it is within our power, by God's design, of everyone to choose the topics that shall occupy his thoughts and thus shape his character. The youth and every Christian of every age, in the name of Jesus, he says, I appeal to you, whom I shall soon meet around the throne of God. What is the appeal? Study your Bible. It will prove to you not only the pillar of cloud by day, but the pillar of fire by night, for it opens before you a path leading up and still upward, bidding you to go forward. The Bible, oh, you do not know its worth. It is a book for the mind, for the heart, and for the conscience and for the will, and for the life. Let me go through that again. The Bible is the book for the mind, for the heart, for the conscience, for the will, and the life. It is the message of God to you in such simple style that it meets the comprehension even of a little child. The Bible precious book. Now, I'd like to emphasize this again. The Bible is the book for five central areas of the Holy Spirit's work upon man, on the soul, the mind, the heart, the conscience, the will, and the life. There is absolutely no other book in the world, in existence, before, now, and forever, past, present, or future, like it, or even close to it, ever. Now, we talk about the steps to Christ. 
it, one of the very first steps to Christ is literally understanding the nature of repentance. And repentance without, or rather, confession. See, this is this is a these are two things. Because confession without repentance will actually harden the conscience. And I'm going to share with you what I have found relative to this to these two things, the confession and repentance, and what are they supposed to result in, and how it affects the conscience. This is found in, uh, I think, This Day with God or the Signs of the Times on May 5, 1881. Genuine repentance springs from a sense of the offensive, not alluring, pleasing, or exciting, the, a sense of the offensive character of sin these general confessions, you know, do we do that? Oh, I think we do that practically all the Lord, please forgive all my sins. God says, what sins are, what sins? These general confessions are not the fruit of true humiliation of soul before God. And remember what the soul means, it's a whole person. Because they leave the sinner with a self-complacent spirit to go on as before until his conscience becomes hardened and warnings that once arrested him or his attention or aroused him, but now produces hardly a feeling of danger and then after a time, his sinful course even appears right or even righteous. And then all too late, his sins will find him out. Oh, that verse is found in Numbers 32, 23. It's going to catch up with us. And when will that sin find him out? In that day when they shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. From the book of Malachi. When there's no more intercessor. There is a vast difference between admitting the facts after they are proved. You know, as in a court trial and confessing sins known only to ourselves and God. Don't wait for a public trial to deal with known sins. Deal with it immediately. That's the work of the conscience, at least the end to which the conscience works on us. Now a new conscience, what happens is when it says, create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me and you know, where Paul talks about, um, you know, renew that, that creative, that mind by transforming our mind and, and making a new, a new person from the old man to the new man in Christ. The question is, everything is made new. Of course, the body is not. It will be changed when Christ comes from corruptible to incorruptible. But the next question is, in the renewal of man, the reconversion, the recreation of man in the, in the spirit of Christ and in the nature of God is a new conscience given when we're reconverted. The answer is, do you think, what's the answer? Is it yes or no? Well, the spirit of prophecy tells us no. So don't wait for a new conscience when you're truly converted. Why? Let's read that. 
is also found in Romans um, 6.22. And I'd like to read from the Bible itself where that question is asked when we are converted or reconverted, do, do we get a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit and a new conscience? Well, Romans 6.22 should lead us into that and they expanded and magnified in the Holy uh, Spirit of prophecy. Romans 6 verse 2 says, What do we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In, in 622 it says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. Now it's being made free from sin. But you still have the same conscience right there that has been transformed. Romans 6.23 says, wow, look at this. Being made free from, 22, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end is everlasting life. The Spirit of God, therefore, does not create new faculties in the converted man, but works a decided change in the employment or the use of these faculties when the mind and the heart and the soul are changed. Man is not given a new conscience, but his will is submitted to a conscience renewed. A conscience who, whose dormant sensibilities are now aroused by the working of the Holy Spirit. Formerly, through yielding to sin, man placed his will under the control of Satan. He became a helpless captive, spiritual slavery, in the tempter's power. Then God sent his son into the world to break the power of Satan, to enslave man to sin. That's his power. In order to emancipate, free the will of man, he sent him to proclaim liberty. That's what it means there. Liberty to the captives, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free from that bondage to sin. By pouring the whole treasury of heaven into this world, by giving us in Christ all of heaven, God has purchased the will, the affections, the mind, the soul of every human being. When a man places himself under the control of God, what happens? The will the will becomes firm and strong to do right. The heart is cleansed from selfishness and will be filled with Christ-like love. The mind yields to the authority of God's law of love. And then, as in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, every thought is brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when the will is placed on the Lord's side, the Holy Spirit takes that will and makes it one with the will of divine will. The will of man is only safe when united with the will of God. 
The Spirit of God does not create new faculties in the converted man, but works a decided change in the use of these faculties. How is the conscience, the, the dormant conscience, awakened? Well, we are told in John 3, 36, that Jesus said to Nicodemus, we must read this again and understand what it applies to and how it works for us within the context of the conscience. Nicodemus wanted to know how to be saved. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man be born from above, that's in the margin, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spiritual or spirit. John 3.36. You see this great truth of the conversion of the human heart. And that is, by the way, the greatest miracle that ever can happen on this earth, on this side of the resurrection. For when this takes, when this greatest of all miracles takes place, then we will see other miracles following in its train. That is how it works. So I read here, it is by the renewing of the heart that the grace of God works to transform the life. No mere external change is sufficient to bring us into harmony with God. There are many who try to reform by correcting this bad habit or that bad habit, and then they hope in this way to become Christians. But they are actually beginning in the wrong place. Our first work is with the heart. Then the leaven of truth, you remember what leaven does? Works secretly, silently, and yet steadily to transform the soul. Don't expect things to happen overnight, but the process is begun. The natural inclinations are softened and subdued. New thoughts, new feelings, new motives are implanted. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of truth, as Jesus says. And then a new standard of character are aroused. It is a new standard of character is actually set up. And what is that standard? New standard of character. Uh, I will emphasize this. In the new conversion, the new standard of character that is set up after the true conversion is the life of Christ. As simple as that. The mind is changed, the faculties are aroused to action in new lines. Man is not endowed with new faculties, but the faculties he has are sanctified, not merely justified, are sanctified. That is how the conscience is awakened. This, by the way, is the only way to rationally and objectively okay, hope and thus truthfully wish ourselves and others to have a, a happy new day or a happy week or a happy month or a happy new year every time every year. You see how that fell flat when we open up the year? Where are we today? Is there anything happy about it? 
We discussed this earlier. We'll have to go back again. So what is the agency in this transformation? As Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And God's the Bible is God's word. The Holy Scriptures are the great agency in this transformation. Christ prayed for his disciples. John 17, 17. Sanctify them to thy truth. Thy word is truth. Therefore, if studied and obeyed, the word of God works in the heart, subduing every unholy attribute. The Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin. And the faith that springs up in the heart, I love this Galatians 5 verse 6, says works by love. The faith that works by love to Christ, conforming us body and soul and spirit to his will. So what happens? Man now sees his danger where before he did not. He sees that he needs a change of character, a change of heart. He's steered. His fears are aroused. The Spirit of God is working in him. And so with fear and trembling, he works for himself, seeking to find out his defects of character, not those of others, his own defects, and then see what he can do to bring about the needed change in his life. That is true process of conversion. So what does that result in? He confesses his sins to God. And if he has injured anyone, he confesses that wrong to the one he has injured. Then he acts in harmony with the Holy Spirit's working upon his conscience. And then his life, he experiences a genuine conversion. Oh, I found that extract in Heavenly Places, page 121. We need moral independence in matters of conscience. That's the genius of the liberty of conscience and freedom to worship God according to the dictates of conscience. Proverbs 4.25 Let thine eye look right on, and let thy eyelids look straight before thee. Now, what does that actually mean? apply and, and and actually how is this magnified because this word is always magnified i like what i'm going to share with you in the book called pilgrim's progress there is a character called pliable and one of the famous uh filipino poets i think it's garcia villa he said pliant as a bamboo Pliant as a bamboo, but being pliable is not that commendable when we're talking about character. Young people, we're told to shun this character that was depicted in the book Pliable. Those represented by it are very accommodating, but they are as a reed shaken by the wind. They possess no willpower, or I would say, moral backbone. Every youth needs to cultivate decision. A divided state of the will is a snare and will be the ruin of many youth. It's already happened. It's still happening. 
be firm or else you will be left with your house or character built upon the sand, not upon the rock. Manifest decision at any cost. And we have wonderful examples in the Bible. Familiar, Joseph, Daniel, and his three Hebrew friends. Those who would walk in the path that is cast up for the chosen of the Lord must not be swayed in matters of conscience by men who have often been zealous for the wrong. We just witnessed that big time here in the United States and much worse is coming in the final test of faith and religion. They must show moral independence and must not be afraid to be singular. Many are changed by every current. They wait to hear what someone else is thinking or is trending, I would say, in the social media or, or cable TV. And, and his opinions are accepted as altogether true. In fact, even if they are proven false, a lie or a conspiracy, you know what I'm talking about. If they would lean totally upon God and not man, and I remember a passage in Jeremiah 17, 5, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. If they would totally lean upon God and not man, they would grow strong in his strength, but they do not say to the Lord, I cannot make any decision until I know thy will. Their natural inclination is to allow another to be conscience for them. And so they speak after he has spoken, saying what he says and acting as he acts. Well, that sounds ominous, ominously familiar, doesn't it? People say, well, he told me to do it. I was waiting for him to make the command. And they'll come back and say, what thinking? Did you think for yourself? So when these persons are placed in circumstances where they must think for themselves, they do not express any decided opinion. And often, like that pliable Aaron who yielded to the Israelites to make that golden calf, they have much ability only to that extent, but they're weaklings. And God pities such weaklings. I'm going to close this out here with this final quote. We must free ourselves from the customs and bondage of society. That when the principles of our faith are at stake, we shall not hesitate to show our true colors. Even though we are called singular or, you know, an orthodox, narrow-minded uh, not of the mainstream for so doing. Here's the counsel. Keep the conscience tender that you may hear the faintest whisper, that still small voice that spoke as never men spoke. Remember, it's the faintest whisper, not the loudest voice. That all who would wear the yoke of Christ show an inflexible fixed purpose to do right simply because it is right. Keep the eye, that is the conscience, fixed on Jesus and inquiring at every step, is this the way, O oh Lord? 
The Lord will never leave anyone who does this to become the sport of Satan's temptations. Do not imitate man. Study your Bible and imitate Christ. I hope you do that by God's will, by God's grace, and by your wise choices of conscience. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. May we surrender all to you. Take over our conscience. You will not give us a new one, but you will renew the conscience. And new sensitiveness will be given to it. And help us to listen to it. And to make it strong by watching out and praying without ceasing. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.